Good evening, everyone. I think we're live. March 22nd. Today's quote is from the Jataka. And with the Jataka, of course, it's best to go with the Kawal translations because they rhyme. But to get a sense of why it's important that they should rhyme, let's look at the Pali first. Because it's, um, well, I mean, important. It's actually not all that important. But, um, you know, there's some rhythm to it. And you could argue that that's a good thing because it makes it easy to remember. It makes it memorable. It has a certain power to it power to create confidence and appreciation. But on the other side, it's possible to become attached to it, so which we should be careful of. Anyway, the verses are uh, quite powerful, so here they are. Suvinja nang singala nang sakuna nancha vasitam Manusavasitang Raja Dubijanatarang Tato. It's the first verse. Easy to understand uh, are the, uh, the cries of the jackal or the bird. But the cry of a human, O king is far harder to understand than those. Well, that's my translation, but here's the Kawal translation. The cry of jackals or of birds is understood with ease. Yea, but the word of men, O king, is darker far than these. So it's easy to understand the cry of an animal. Animals, when they talk, they're pretty easy to understand. Do they like you? Do they dislike you? Uh, in not long time, you can get a sense of the emotion behind their cries. For the most part, easy to understand. The only uh, animal that probably comes close that I can think of to humans is, of course, the monkey kind, <clears throat> who tend to be able to uh, trick each other and humans as well. If you ever lived with monkeys, they can be pretty sneaky. But humans take the cake, you know. We can say one thing, do another thing, and think an entirely different thing. We can be totally deceptive. In fact, for the most part, we spend much of our days being deceptive, saying things that... <clears throat> cover up rather than elucidate our feelings. We're very good as human beings to say things like someone asks, how are you? And we feel terrible. We say, oh, I'm fine. Doing well. Right? Often we go beyond that because uh, we want to actually hide how we feel. How do you like my dress? Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> right? 
Do I look fat in this? No, no, that kind of thing. Right? These little white lies we talk about. Maybe that's going too far. We, I, I wasn't thinking of lies. I was, um, you know, when you're angry at someone, but you want to be polite, and so you hide it, and you smile. Humans are very good at this. We're very good at hiding how we feel. When you're when at school, it's it's quite incredible when you actually sit down and talk to some of the students. Most of them have, are, well, many of them are in a lot of stress, and they hide it, and they smile, and they joke, and they pretend that they're happy because well, everyone else seems like they're happy, so they feel guilty that they're not happy, and so they pretend. A lot of pretending going on. Today I taught meditation. Today was a very busy day. Had a test in Latin, didn't do very well. And, and then spent the rest of the, most of the day sitting, not too many people, but a, a handful, maybe 10 people today came by. And then in the afternoon I taught a group of meditators who by special invitation invited me to give them a talk on meditation. De-stressor, they called it. De-stressor meditation. So I had a half an hour with them, and then I went back downstairs and sat at the five-minute meditation table. Then this afternoon I went to a meeting of the McMaster Indigenous Students Community Alliance? No, Association like Alliance, maybe. And it was a neat thing. First Nations people, or the indigenous people, they have, uh, well, I mean, more than that, and why it's appropriate for this talk is they were really crapped on when by, by the Canadian people and continue to be. And it's not well publicized how... Uh, how poorly they've been treated. And <clears throat> I think um, uh, how it ties into this is how, how messed up we are, really. We, uh, we do whatever we can to manipulate each other. I'm not talking actually individually, but more on a global level. This world is pretty messed up. I think trying to fix the situation is is uh, probably futile. And the worst is trying to change like political systems or trying to uh, protest or so on. I think if it's going to change, if, if there's some hope for humanity still, it's got to be through the appeal to goodness, trying to convince people of the truth that manipulating each other and hurting each other is not doesn't lead to happiness, doesn't lead to peace, doesn't lead to anything good. To start, um, I guess, being more straight. You know? So part of this is how tricky humans can be. That's really what this uh, quote is about. It has some curious twists and turns in it. <clears throat> 
uh, it says a few things. So the first thing it says here is that it's hard to know. That's really the point that's being made in this Jataka. The king, this, the backstory is this king asks uh, a goose, Bodhisattva is a goose, an animal who can talk, and so they're talking. And he says to the goose, you know, stay with me. Live here with me. You're a king of the goose, geese. I'm a king of humans. We can live together. And he says, no, no, no. You'll get drunk. He says, probably you'll get drunk one day and decide you want to have roast duck, a roast goose. And that'll be it for me. And he says, then I'll stop. He says, no, no, I'll stop drinking. I won't drink alcohol while you're here. And then he launches into this. And he says, oh, it's hard to know the words of men. If you were a jackal or a, a bird, then I, I, I'd be able to understand what you're saying. But it's hard to understand, especially for a goose, I guess. Somehow he can understand the human, but he still doesn't trust him. And then he says, Apiche manyati poso nyati mito sakhatiwa. Whether, mm, I don't know, verses are hard. Let's see. Oh, okay, we think, right? One may, a man may think. Right, this is a, a, a relative, a friend, or a companion. But, and this is a good quote, who in the past was kind-hearted or dear or well-disposed, afterwards becomes an enemy. It's not that good of a quote, but it's, let's see what the English is. A man may think, this is my friend, my comrade, or my kin, this is my comrade of my kin, but friendship goes, and often hate and enmity begin. Just read the English. Who has your heart is near to you, with you, where'er he be, but who dwells with you, and your heart is estranged, afar is he. Who in your house of kindly heart shall be is kindly still, though far across the sea. Who in your house shall hostile be of heart, hostile he is, though ocean wide apart. Thy foes, O Lord of chariots, though near thee are afar, but fosterer of thy realm, the good in heart, close linked are. Who stays too long, find often times that friend is changed to foe. Then ere I lose your friendship, I will take my leave and go. So he's making an argument for why he should leave, because you know, friend and foe, well, human and goose, you know how the story ends. It often ends in a dead goose. But that's the way of humans, is we're hard to understand. So how does this relate to our meditation? How can I relate this to our meditator? We have to be careful in our minds. You, know, you, can, you can fool others, but you can't fool yourself. Well, you can, you can try, and you can 
work at it, but the result isn't satisfying. I mean, so by trick others, you, you can trick others into doing what you want, but it doesn't work with the mind. You don't get positive results by fooling yourself. You only get more and more messed up. So the inside, whether we tell the truth to others, we have to tell the truth to ourselves. It's very important. That's essential in meditation. So we have to stop pretending, and, and often it comes down to just um, denying our experiences. No. Thinking, no, 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 I, I can't do that, I can't be that, this is not right, this is not right. Instead of actually looking at the experience, instead of being being honest with ourselves and saying, it's there. You know, it's, and it's <coughs> under my control. And looking at it honestly, giving it an honest uh, an analysis. We look at our emotions, look at our thoughts, you know, and being honest with them, not trying to suppress them or say, no, 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 it's not right. It doesn't work. You have to give them an honest appraisal, the good ones and the bad ones. It's the only way you can learn. It's the only way you can learn what's right and wrong. We have to be honest with ourselves. Should be honest with each other as well. Should be open, and it would be great if we could all be straight and honest. I mean, sometimes it's not right to be open and honest. Sometimes you have to be a little bit deceptive. Should never lie, but there are times where you should uh, be careful with the truth because if you're too straightforward. People get the wrong idea because we all have, you know, defilements. If you, if you're too honest, you can make people angry or so on. Sometimes you have to use subterfuge, not lying. Lying is a problem. With other people, sometimes you have to be human. I mean, it's actually it can be a useful thing at times to. Uh, you know, if you don't want to scare someone, you want to give them confidence. Or you, know, if you want someone to to, uh, <clears throat> to not dwell on their faults, you can encourage them and that kind of thing. But with yourself, it doesn't work like this. With yourself, the best, bet, the, the, the best way is honesty. Be honest with yourself. That's what insight is. It's about looking honestly and saying, this is, this is the truth. The truth is this. I have good things and bad things, and good things, seeing them as good, seeing them for what they are. The bad things, also seeing them for what they are. Because the, the, be the clearer you see things, the better it gets. I mean, bad things don't, get, don't seem good when you look at them closer you look at them, the more clearly they're, 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 the problem with them is. The more clearly you can see their, their problem, their evil. How they hurt you, how they stress you.
Anyway, it's been a long day today, so I don't know. I think there's some interesting Dhamma, so I'm going to stop there. You know, open up the hangout if anybody wants to come on and talk. Otherwise, so call it a night. Pretty busy this time of year. Um, I already said I'm going to New York, so that's happening. Not sure about going to UK. They wanted me to go for a long time, I think, but it's not going to work. Not if I oh and then right that's there's the idea to go to Thailand and Sri Lanka that might be happening, but that's the thing is how long can I stay away? And what's the minimum amount of time to stay in Thailand and then Sri Lanka as well? It gets to be a long trip. So I'm only thinking the UK would be viable if either for a short time or if there was really something substantial going on. Because we kind of agreed that I probably should go to Thailand to see my teacher. I'm getting calls. Someone's trying to hang out with me. Who are you? Hey, Vantere. It's Michael. Hi, Michael. There's someone called Joseph trying to join the Hangout. And if you want to join the Hangout, you have to go to meditation.sirimangalo.org. That's where you find the link. Whoa, someone else. More than one person pinging me on Hangouts. I'm an atheist, but I find your talks really insightful. You keep it open for everyone, and thank you. Well, I'm an atheist too, so don't be afraid. <laughs> and here is Ken. So do you guys have questions, or are you just... Yeah, um, I had a question about things that um, maybe you're not readily able to be mindful about. Um, for instance, when I'm reading something, I feel like I really can't be mindful of it because once I'm noting, reading, reading, then I don't retain anything. Um, is there anything to be said about that kind of thing? Well, it's two different activities. Reading is a 
different activity from meditating. You can do it in between reading, you know. When you start to get a headache or something, be mindful of your... You can still be mindful in between readings. And reading okay, is not as linear as you think. You know, there's time to process, and then your mind wanders, and you bring your mind back, and so on. So there is time in between readings to be mindful. But the act itself, not so much? No. It's, I mean, not everything is meditation. Okay. Hello. Hey, Ken? Yeah. You have a question? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. I just I just wanted to say hi, but also um, uh, that's an interesting thing about when people say, uh, how are you? Mm. And then uh, a lot of times I don't really know what to say. Like sometimes I, I just say, oh, not bad. But, you know, there's kind of like a social convention to say you're doing fine, you mm -hmm. know, and it's it's pretty subtle, but you know it's all it's sometimes confusing, and sometimes uh, for a while there I used to just say suka duka, because it sounds like super duper, but it's actually saying suka duka, so you're good and bad, so I don't know. <laughs> the Buddha would say uh, the Buddha and and the monks would say kamaniyang. In fact, this is what they ask each other: they say kamaniyang bante yapaniyang. Uh, are you able to bear with it? Are you able to? Are you able to bear with it? Are you able to stand it? And they would say, "Kamaniyang." Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm basically bearing up. I'm getting by. I'm able to bear with it. Yeah. Don't know about this pinging me on Hangouts. It's a bit. Uh, You think about all the questions. This is the problem now with questions: is I've answered them all. I've answered, and I'm just getting questions that I've answered that question a thousand times. Someone's asking about meditating with music, and I'm sure I've got two or three videos on meditating. I, I, mean, I must, I must have answered that one, right? Anyway, I got a another, like a more, probably a little more deeper question. Um, you know, on like uh, the Eightfold uh, Noble Path, like there's the, the right thought, and then one is like of, uh, uh, you know, relinquishment. Right? Mm -hmm. The what? And like uh, the thought of um, renunciation. Right. That's how I understood it anyways. And mm -hmm. uh, that, se that, seems like a, that seems like one that's sort of... Uh, Trying to cultivate that one seems like it uh, takes a bit of finesse. Would you agree? Like right now, right? I'm just thinking, like, well, what if? What would it be like right now? All I got is like, well, what would it be right now? Right now, if I didn't have any um, craving or I didn't have any uh, aversion, you know, how would that be right now? And then I, I think, oh, that that'd be positive. And but but just you know to renounce seems like a seems like a bit of a jump. Well, yeah, I mean you're dealing with English translations and and with superficial understandings. I mean, not insult, it's not an insult, but yeah. you have to understand exactly what's being said. There, all it is is it's the opposite of 
kamavitaka, which is uh, sensual desire, lustful thoughts, desirous thoughts. Nekama just means thoughts of thoughts that are free from from desire. So when you see something that you want, being able to see it without wanting it. And that sort of that's more or less right thought. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's it's not it it's it's you're you're overthinking it. I think in terms of uh, you know it means you have to give up stuff. It's not actually thought. It's it's not actually thoughts like whom I should give this up or whom I should give that up. I mean those are good thoughts, but right thought is just thought without without desire, anger, greed, anger, or delusion. So it's just a more general that nekama vitaka means uh, ne means ni na. So it's uh, and kama. I'm actually not sure about that, but basically that's what it means. It's without greed. So for for a while, it might uh, there just might be a period of just kind of warming up to that idea of um, not um, thinking about things with uh, with desire or aversion. Well, it's more you look at the desire and you start to see, and you look at the things that you desire and you start to see that they're not worth desiring. That's what vipassana is all about. That's what the three characteristics are: impermanent suffering and non-self. What does that mean? It means these things that you thought were stable, satisfying, and controllable are not actually. When you see that, the desire goes away. Desire for them disappears. That's where that's you know essential uh, core vipassana. Seeing the things that you thought were stable are unstable, changing all the time. The things you thought were satisfying, not satisfying, mainly because they're unstable. And you can't change it, you can't control it, you can't fix it. So the things you thought were controllable, they're not controllable. So you give them up, it's garbage. Not for me. So slowly, slowly develop it. But just try to see things as they are. I mean, the truth is there. It's not. It's not about belief or changing your opinion. It's not about opinions. Look and see, and and the claim is that this is what you'll see. You'll see impermanent suffering and non-self. Your desire will just disappear, and that's where right thought comes. You right thought will naturally come through the practice. Now you could you could if you want to be a little bit more conceptual about it and sort of daily life kind of thing. They're good thoughts, thoughts of renunciation. So I think, hmm, what sort of things can I give away? It's not right thought. I mean, it, that that's not the definition of right thought. That's just a thought, and it can still be filled with greed, anger, and delusion. Right? You can be thinking, I want to be a good Buddhist, so I'm going to do this, or uh, you know. I hate all this suffering that I have, so I'm going to get rid of everything, and then I'll be free. So it's anger-based, right? They're good thoughts, and they're the preliminary thoughts, but it's not right thought or noble right thought. But but why I bring it up is because that's a good thing. It's good to think about such things. I'm not trying to discount these thoughts of, hmm, you know, really, I could live without this. I could live without that. Those are good, conventionally good. It's good to have such thoughts and to be be thoughtful in general, in a conventional sense. You know, sometimes we put too much emphasis on meditation. I don't want to do that. 
it's good to be thoughtful as a human being and, and so social thoughtfulness is good as well, you know. Worry about the environment, not worry, but be conscious of the environment, be conscious of like today we were talking about the TRC, the, in Canada we have this uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission which is really interesting as a Buddhist because it talks about people you know, uh, respecting each other and, and learning to live in harmony because the Canadian government really you know, not as much as the American government, I don't think, but they really uh, crapped on the First Nations people and continue to do so. You know, it's getting maybe a little better, but not where it should be. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, thinking about these things and talking to people and appreciating people... I love at the university there's so many good people doing good things. I mean, most people are just people, but there are groups that are doing this good thing. So I always take time as I walk by to look at all the all the club tables because I have you know sometimes I'll sit there with the meditation, but otherwise I just walk by and talk to them and if they're doing something good like for AIDS or for the AIDS table was funny because they're handing stuff out and so they tried to hand me a package of candy and a condom. <laughs> and, I, and I laughed at the condom. I said, no, thank you. And they, the person was kind of a little bit, you know, why are you laughing kind of thing. And I said, I guess I shouldn't laugh, but I, you know, I'm celibate. <laughs> Not going to have much use for that. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, but I said, I talked to them. I was... I said, you know, good job. I was, and there was a group raising for homeless, and giving a thumbs up, and raising money, and most of them raising money, and I don't ever have money, obviously, so I just give them uh, moral support. But it's great to talk to people, you know, who have good thoughts. University is a place where a lot of good thoughts come about. Obviously, there's a lot of problems at university, but there is a segment that is out of goodness. So thinking about these things and being conscious of them, I think, is good. You shouldn't confuse it with meditation or right thought. No, right thought is much deeper. Right thought, you need a pure mind. And that doesn't have anything to do with talking to people or thinking about issues or so on. Thinking about your possessions is not that. Right thought is, <clears throat> in general... And, and in totality in the end, to be to have those thoughts that are free from greed, anger, and delusion, whatever those thoughts may be. So when you think about something that would normally make you angry, not getting angry. So so if you really have right thought, then you're pretty much if you really have it, you're pretty much in your hand, right? Well a sotapanna attains it in the moment uh, right before they realize Nibbana or the moment of realizing Nibbana that's uh, the, the, technically the Noble Eightfold Path doesn't arise until the moment of, of enlightenment as a Sotapanna so up until that point you're practicing what's called the Pubanga Manga which is developing, cultivating the eight path factors but they don't ever come to be noble until the moment of enlightenment. 
but but you know you put them up there as the goal, and then you think, well, we're working towards that. So my mind is more free from greed, anger, and delusion. So I'm getting closer. That kind of thing. I like the right. Uh, I always found that um, I could be mindful as long as I didn't start talking. Hmm. But as soon as I started talking, I, I kind of lost my mindfulness. And then uh, when I didn't really, I didn't really check out the eightfold path. But then on right speech, it was like, oh, if you follow all these kind of rules, then you kind of gotta remember them as you're talking, and then you can sort of get some mindfulness. Yeah. Okay. I mean, again, it's still fairly conventional because right speech is probably no speech <laughs> in the end um, because it has to have the other seven factors and you can't really have uh, right mindfulness and so on when you're speaking. I mean, it, actually it is possible. It's possible you could become enlightened while you're speaking, but you'd have to be watching your lips move. You have to be aware of that feeling. You, know, you have to be really present. Because speaking is actually, it's a process. There's the thought, and the thought leads to the, the speech, and you can feel that. You know, you have a thought, and then suddenly your lips start moving, and your voice box starts rattling, and you can be mindful of all that as it's happening. Once I had a late meditator get very angry at me for this. She thought it was absurd that you could be mindful while you're talking. How would you go about noting that? If you're feeling, watching the lips and so on. It's nice to have some discussion. Yeah, especially especially like, um, well, where I am, like um, pretty much any discussion I have is usually going to, you know, be on the internet. Mm -hmm. Not really. I don't really know tons of people who are practicing. Mm. Almost none, actually. Same. Well, that's what we're here for. It's nice to be able to bring people together. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. I got more than enough to go over here. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna head out. Have a good night. Yeah, thank good you. Night. Bye -bye.